You're listening to sermon audio from Gospelite Baptist Church. For more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit gospelite.org. Hey, church, uh, if you have your Bibles, go to Deuteronomy chapter 6. As you're going to Deuteronomy chapter 6, if you did not get one of these bulletins when you came in, there are sermon notes. If you'll just raise your hand, we've got some men coming down the aisles who will get you a, a bulletin. Just raise your hand. No need to be embarrassed. I'm one of your pastors, and I forget sometimes, so it's okay. But um, thank you, gentlemen, for doing that. Um, as you're going to Deuteronomy chapter 6... Um, we're going to be talking about how to grow a strong family of faith. And as your family pastor, families are very important to me. But even more than me, families are important to God. And so, as you're going to Deuteronomy chapter 6, I want to tell you about a story. I really like history, and I like reading about uh, especially American history. And I read a story about... Um, back in the 1800s, when you had these paddle boats that went up and down the Mississippi River, uh, kind of like the paddle boats that you see, uh, kind of like the Bell of Hot Springs here in the Hot Springs, and uh, or like the big paddle boats that you see in Branson that you can go on and eat dinner on. And, you know, it has that big paddle wheel in the back. You know, those are fueled by coal and steam. You know, you heat up the coal, and that produces steam, and the steam drives the the engine. Well, anyway, uh, these uh, paddle boats were going all up and down the Mississippi River during the 1800s, carrying all sorts of cargo and passengers and goods and materials, uh, especially from the north all the way down to the port in New Orleans. And so there's a story about two paddle boats that left Memphis, Tennessee. We all kind of know where Memphis is. And uh, these two paddle boats set out at the same time carrying uh, different goods and cargoes, and they were both headed to New Orleans. And so these paddle boats were slowly, you know, right beside each other. And of course, one of these paddle boats started kind of drifting, you know, behind a little bit. Well, of course, these sailors on the other paddle boat are going to start talking trash and talking smack, saying, ha, 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 y'all are going slow. And so then, you know, there was some bantering going back and forth. And then it was on. A race to New Orleans to see who had the fastest paddle boat. And so these paddle boat guys started shoveling in the coal into those big steam ovens so that they could get their engines real hot and going fast. And so this race was on. And so they were in a dead heat when one of the paddle boats started drifting behind. And this paddle boat couldn't catch up because they had enough coal to go down to New Orleans, but they didn't have enough coal to burn to go all out to New Orleans. And so they were in a dilemma. They didn't want to be showed up by the other you know, paddle boat. And so a sailor on this paddle boat had a great idea. Or at least he thought it was a great idea at the time. He's like, let's take some of these goods and cargo that we're carrying and let's throw that into the fire. 
And so they took some of the cargo and some of the goods and textiles and they threw it into the oven. And guess what happened? They burned really well. In fact, it burned as well as coal. So guess what they did? They started throwing their cargo into the fire. And sure enough, they sped up past the other paddle boat and made it to New Orleans first. And so, yeah, they had the bragging rights. They got to New Orleans first. But in the process, they ended up burning all their cargo. And so that story made me think, you know what? God has entrusted very special cargo to us. He has entrusted very very special people in our lives, like our spouses, our children, our grandchildren, friends. And our job is to do our part in seeing that this cargo, that these people reach their full potential in Christ and that they reach their intended destination that God has set in the course of their life. Yet when the busyness of life comes, the busyness of life will take priority over families sometimes and families will suffer. How much cargo do we sacrifice to achieve a higher paying job? To achieve a higher uh, title and position at work? How much do we burn through our families to achieve some status in the community? A lot of families never reach their full potential and purpose in God's design because of the aggressive pursuit of things in this world that are not eternal but temporal. And so today, we're going to talk about how to build and grow strong families. Because sadly, there are a lot of families in our community, and possibly even in this church, who today are living in this kind of state. These marriages are broken, uh, relationships with kids are missing, families are in a state of dysfunction and brokenness, and families may be seeking temporary pleasures instead of the eternal purpose that God has for their lives. So we're going to be taking a closer look at families today and how we can rescue and repair, strengthen and equip our families to be strong families of faith. Because I'm going to tell you right now, it is through the church and through our families that God is going to send a revival. Because let me tell you, you cannot elect a revival in this country. It comes through his church. And so I want to talk about strengthening our families today. So if you look in Deuteronomy chapter 6, we're going to be reading verses 1 through 9. And I'm going to set up the scenario and the setting of what's going on here. There's a man named Moses that we all heard of. All right, Moses has led the people of Egypt dramatically out of Egypt with God's uh, mighty hand and outstretched arm. He... Uh, you know, led them out of Egypt by God sending the ten plagues. Then they went through and God parted the Red Sea and they went through the Red Sea. Um, and the Red Sea, you know, came over the Egyptian army. Uh, the people of Israel went to Mount Sinai. They got to the uh, Ten Commandments. 
And now God is about to bring them into the promised land. But the people get afraid and they rebel against God. They're afraid that, you know, even though God has taken them this far and, you know, parted the Red Sea and God brought manna from heaven. He had been providing for the people of Israel. Guess what? They were afraid to go into the promised land because the people were mighty. They were large. They were big. They had big armies. They didn't trust God. And so God got, you know, basically frustrated and irritated and punished them and banished them for 40 years of wandering in the desert wilderness. And now that old generation has died off that was afraid of going into the promised land. And God has raised up a new generation of leaders. He's raised up families. And Moses is giving them the laws and the decrees and the different expectations that God has for the Hebrew people as they now are going to try a second time to go into the promised land. And so this is where we pick up this story. The people are right outside the promised land and Moses is giving giving the Hebrew nation the instructions that God has commanded as they are about to go into the promised land uh, the second time. So in Deuteronomy chapter 6, beginning with verse 1, God's word says, These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess, so that your children and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you, and so that you may enjoy long life. Hear, O Israel, and be careful to obey, so that it may go well with you, and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your fathers, promised you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Beginning verse 5 now. Love the Lord your God. Everybody say love. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Everybody say impress. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Would you pray for me as we begin this message? Heavenly Father, I am praying that right now that, Lord, you would just continue to convict, to challenge in this service today. I humbly ask that I would be a tool in your hands, God, to communicate the word you have spoken to me. I ask that you would speak to all of our hearts today and that, Lord, you would grow and strengthen and rescue families today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. First thing I want you to see as we begin looking at this message today is we're going to try to answer the question, how can I grow a strong family of faith? First point I want you to see on growing a strong family of faith is this. We need to live God's way. So if we're going to build and grow a strong family of faith, we've got to live God's way. 
And there's three things that I want you to see under this point on living God's way. The first thing I want you to see is in order to live God's way, it involves having a proper response to God. All right. So here in verse one, Moses says, these are the commands, decrees and laws. The Lord, your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess. All right. You see that word observe there? I'll read from the NIV. And so the word there is observe. And if you look at that word observe in the Hebrew language, that word is translated obey. Everybody say obey. All right. The first thing that people are supposed to do in order to live God's way is they are to obey, to live in obedience. Because this has not been a strong... um, a strong character trait of the Hebrew nation. They were in the wilderness for 40 years. You know, they rebelled against God and going into the promised land the first time. When they were wandering in the desert for 40 years, they griped, they whined, they complained about food, about water, how it was hot. They wished they could go back to Egypt. They were constantly disobeying God. But praise God, He is a loving God. He is patient. Um, He didn't kill them all off, but that older generation, he let die off because they held on to the old customs and ways of Egypt. And so these people were not obedient. And so Moses is saying, if we're going to take the promised land, if we're going to fulfill our purpose and our destiny, we are to live God's way. And that includes us being obedient. And obedience really means two things. And this is in your notes here. First off, obedience is immediate. Obedience is immediate because you see delayed obedience is disobedience. God wanted the Hebrew nation to go into that country, you know, and take over the promised land, but they hesitated. They were afraid. And so their obedience was not immediate. uh, immediate. They delayed their obedience. It's kind of like when I tell my sons at home, Hey, I need y'all to go take out the trash. Oh, oh, Dad, I'll do it here in a minute. Dad, let me finish watching this video. Dad, uh, wait, wait until this game is over that I'm watching. And then what happens? They forget, and the trash piles up. They eventually go do it after a constant reminder. But was that truly obedience? No, because it was delayed. Same thing here with the Hebrew people. They delayed their obedience and God had to send them into the, uh, the wilderness for 40 years of wandering. But God is saying, follow my rules, my decrees, my laws, and I will get you to where you need to go. Does your family see you observing and obeying God in every area of your life? In your speech, the way you act, what you watch, what you listen to? Husbands, do your children see you observing and obeying God and how you treat your wife? Spouses, do your children see you honoring God in your marriage? Families are important to God. And he wants us to obey him in how we are to treat family. You see, family is very important to our God. Do you know that God created the family before he began the church? Look in Genesis, God created Adam and Eve. He didn't create the church first, he created a family first. 
When you look in the New Testament, when Jesus began his earthly ministry on earth, kind of like his coming out party, you know, saying, hey, here I am, the Messiah of the world. Where was he? He was at a wedding where he turned water into wine. You see in the, in the uh, gospel accounts where Jesus got really angry with the disciples one time. And what was it about? It was when the disciples were telling the children not to come to Jesus. And Jesus sternly rebuked the disciples because children are important to God. We need to be obedient in honoring one another and growing a strong family of faith because families are important to God and they need to be important to us. And I thank God for a church where families are important. I mean, this is the year of the child and we're doing different things to help encourage our our children and our families. And so I praise God that we are a church that that really uh, responds in obedience and helping equip our families. So, second thing I want you to see under this point here is living God's way not only involves a response to God of obedience, but number two, it involves a reverence of God. Look in verse two here. It says in verse two that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you. You see that word in verse 2, fear, there? That word fear, when you look at it in the Hebrew language, is, means a holy respect of God. It's not the word fear when, you know, a spider, you know, crawls up you and you're going, ah! You know, it's not that kind of fear. Or when you see a snake or, or something like that. It is a holy, reverent, respect of our God. And I think for the Hebrew people, they had lost that. And in order to grow a strong family and in order for them to get to the promised land, they were going to have to have that reverent fear of God. And I think that is lacking in a lot of our families today. You know, we'll get excited about a lot of things, but we won't get excited about our God. And so, do you truly have a proper view of God? Because if we're going to build strong families of faith, we not only have to have a proper response of God in obedience, not only do we have to have a proper reverence of God, but number three, a reward from God. You see, living God's way results in having a reward from God. Look here in verse in the verse 2 beginning in verse 3 it says so that you may enjoy long life hear o israel and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you and you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey just as the lord the god of your fathers promised you let me tell you if if families will have a very holy respect of god and families will respond in obedience to the commands of God in Scripture, then God promises a reward. For the Hebrew people, before they go into the promised land, God promised them, you you, uh, respond well to me, you obey me, you uh, fear me in holy respect, 
you will get a reward. And here are the three rewards. The three rewards are this. Number one, you will enjoy long life. Number two, it will go well with you. And number three, you will increase greatly. Those are the three promises that God promised the Hebrew people. And I truly believe that this has application for us today as families. If we will truly obey and honor God with our lives and as, uh, with our families, he will give us a long life, a life that goes well with us, a life filled with purpose and meaning. You know, I was talking to the champion students in chapel on Friday, and, and my whole um, subject was this. Do the right thing and do it the right way. Because I think a lot of us know to do the right thing, but we don't always do it the right way. And because of that, God can't bless that. And so if we're going to build a strong family of faith, we need to, again, respond in obedience and have a holy, reverent fear of the Lord our God. Now, there's a second main point that I want you to see in this passage today. If we're going to build and grow strong families of faith, number one, we need to live God's way. But number two, we need to love God's way. Everybody say love. All right. It is a word that we use here often here at Gospel Light. How many of you have heard preachers say, love you? That's almost every hand in this room. I love that. And I'm getting used to that. All right? Because love conquers all things. You look in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, it defines love. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8 says, Love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it is not rude, it is not self-seeking, it always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. All right, and so as the Hebrew people are about to go into the promised land, uh, Moses is, is being instructed by God, tell the people to, to love me above all. When you see here in verse 5 where it says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. That word love in the Hebrew means this, and this is in your notes here. The Hebrew word for love means a very intimate, personal, and passionate, and powerful love. This is a very intimate, personal, passionate, and powerful love, okay? And so what I want you to see here is two things under uh, how to love God's way. Number one, I want you to see love's priority. Why should we love God and make that a priority? There are three things I want you to see here. Why we should make love a priority in our lives. Number one, we should love God and make it a priority because one, God is our provider. In verse five, it says to love the Lord your God. You see that word Lord? In some of your Bibles, it may say Yahweh. Anytime you see the word Lord capitalized, as in capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, that is referring to the covenant name of God. The covenant name of God is a special name that God gave Moses and the Hebrew people called Yahweh. When Moses was in the burning bush in Exodus chapter 3, um, God, you know, um, talked, uh, you know, communicated and talked with Noah at the burning bush. Y'all remember that story? 
And, and God asked Moses, I want you to lead my people out of Egypt to a land that I will show you. And Moses is like, I'm just a shepherd. And, you know, he's making all these excuses. And then Moses says, you know what? Who, who am I going to say to Pharaoh that, that, who sent me? You know, Pharaoh's not going to believe who sent me. And God said, tell them that Yahweh sends you. The word Yahweh means I am. And I love this because that word I am, Yahweh, literally means whatever you need me to be. It's almost like a fill in the blank. For instance, are you in distress? God is your peace. God says, I am your peace. I am your refuge. Are you experiencing grief? God says, I am your comfort. I am your peace. I am your joy in the midst of trouble. Are you lonely? God says, I am Emmanuel. I am God with you. Are you um, struggling from some simple hurt, habit, or hang-up? Then God says, I am your deliverer. If, if you are being pushed around by this world, if you're stumbling, you're about to fall, God says, I am my rock. I am your rock on which you can stand. If you are tired and struggling with um, trying to make ends meet, God says, I am your support. I am your shield. I am your defender. God is Yahweh. He is our provider. And because he is our provider, we should love God and make that a priority. But the second thing I want you to see is this. Why should we love God and why should he be a priority? It's not because he's just our provider, but number two, he is personal. God is personal. Look here in verse five. It says, love the Lord your God. You see that word, your? That is a personal pronoun. We have a God that is very personal to the Hebrew people. He is the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. When you look in the Old Testament, you see these genealogies of so-and-so begot so-and-so begot so-and-so begot so-and-so. A lot of people say, well, those genealogies are meaningless. And I say, baloney. They're not. It shows how God is so personal that he includes all these names in Scripture. He loves people. He's very individual and having a personal relationship with you that is real and personal. It's kind of like the relationships we should have with our family. I remember when my son Connor, he was about four or five years old, and uh, he was here in the first service. My family's not here for the second service. But um, Connor, uh, he's 14 years old now. He's in ninth grade. He's a freshman here at Gospel Light uh, Christian School. And uh, yeah, he's about an inch taller than me now. But he, uh, he was a little guy at one time. And when he was four or five years old, uh, let me set up what's going on. I'm sitting in my uh, little closet. I, I had a closet at this one house. It was amazing. You know, I wish that I had this closet back because it was huge. I loved it. And I uh, had a desk in there where I could do my studying. And then I could, you know, close the closet door and, you know, just kind of be by myself. Well, one day Connor came through the door and I could tell someone was coming. 
and my back was to them, and I was continuing. I was deep in study. I mean, I was spiritual. I was reading my Bible. And he comes and walks up to me, and he stands right there beside me. And before he could even say a word, I immediately said, Connor, I need you to go away until I'm finished. Connor slowly turned, ducked his head, and began walking out. And the Holy Spirit of God got my attention very quickly. And I remember God saying very loudly and clearly to my heart, and he said, Shane, that's not how I treat you. As your Heavenly Father, you're always welcomed in my presence. I immediately turned to Connor as he's about to walk out the closet door. And I said, Connor, wait. Please come back, son. And Connor walked up to me. I scooped him up in my arms, put him in my lap. And I actually wrote this down in a journal, what I told him. I remember telling him this, Connor, you're always welcome to come into my closet anytime to be with me. We talked and we giggled for several minutes. Uh, we talked about different things. And it was so important that even today, my son, whether I'm at an office here at Champion Christian College or if I am talking to somebody and he calls me on the phone, he will always, always get an answer from his dad. I don't care who I'm talking to. Because I want him to know how important and valuable he is. Let me tell you, our God is a very personal God. He loves you just the way you are. You are welcomed in his presence. And for the Hebrew people, God was communicating that I am your God. And so my question to you today is, does your family see that you have a real and personal relationship with Almighty God? The third thing I want you to see under love's priority is not only that God is personal, not only um, uh, is God a provider, but number three, God is powerful. Because it says here, love the Lord, Yahweh, your God, with all your heart. That word God uh, in the uh, original language of Hebrew uh, is Elohim. All right, And when you see that word Elohim in the scripture, that word El for God in the Hebrew literally means strong. It means strengthen. It, it means powerful. And so we see here a picture of of the priority we should give God. If we are going to be successful in building and growing strong families of faith, we have got to remember that the love of God should be a priority in our lives because God is powerful, He is our provider, and He is personal. But the second thing I want you to see here under uh, loving God's way is this. Not only the priority of love, but I want you to see love's pattern. How do I truly demonstrate my personal love and devotion to God? We see why it's important now, because, because God is powerful and personal, but, but how do we demonstrate that kind of love to God? How can we specifically, you know, 
show that love to God. Number one, under love's pattern is this. Surrender with your, all your heart. Surrender with all your heart. The Hebrew word there for heart is a word that means the core of your being. To surrender your heart to someone means you surrender the core of who you are to that person. All you have inside you, you surrender. You give up. I'm sure a lot of you have seen these police shows on TV. You know, there's, you know, there's cops. There's all these different shows where the police are pursuing the bad, bad guys. And when you watch these shows, usually they always get their man. You know, whether they're, you know, fleeing on foot or fleeing by car. At some point, it gets to where the, the uh, bad guy is, is just totally desperate. They don't know what else to do. And when they know that they're about to be caught, what happens? They put their arms up, don't they? What does that mean? It means surrender. I give up. If we are going to love God's way, we need to demonstrate our love by complete surrender of our heart. Because it says here, love the Lord your God with all your heart. I love how when we worship through music, you'll see people raising their hands in worship. You know what I think of? I surrender God as they're singing the songs. That's why I have no problem with people raising their hands. It's kind of like a child raising their hands up to a father. Because I can't tell you how many times my kids, when they were smaller, would come up to me and they'd just raise their hands saying, take me. And I would scoop them up. We demonstrate our love by our surrender. Number two, number two here under love's pattern is not only do we truly demonstrate our personal love to God through surrender, but we also demonstrate our personal love to God through sacrifice. Sacrifice with all your soul. In verse 5, Moses is telling the people of Israel, hey, not only love the Lord your God with all your heart, but with all your soul. That word soul comes from a Hebrew word that means, uh, you know, uh, spirit, life, and vitality. It's the same word used in Matthew 26, 38 when Jesus was arrested uh, before he went to the cross. And he says, my soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. To love God with all your soul is to sacrifice your life and your emotions to him. Have you truly sacrificed who you are and your attitude to be who God wants you to be today for your family, for your church? Does your family see that true sacrifice in your life, or do they see selfishness, pride, or ego? And thirdly, how do we truly demonstrate our personal love to God? Not only through surrender and sacrifice, but thirdly, serve, or serve with all your strength. Because it says here in the passage, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. That word strength means intense. The word implies intensity. It means love that is diligent. Love especially. Love mightily. Love exceedingly. The implication of loving God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength means to love Him completely and wholly. 
if we are to truly raise our families, if we are to truly build strong families of faith, we as uh, parents, as children, we have to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We are to serve together, sacrifice together, surrender together. I love when families serve together in the church. I remember last year taking my 16-year-old daughter to Haiti, where for eight days, seven days, we went around, you know, door-to-door evangelizing, you know, working at an orphanage, uh, doing different things uh, of that nature. I've gone with my kids to give out Thanksgiving baskets and Christmas food baskets uh, during Christmas and Thanksgiving. We've done things together as a family to serve together. You know, we've gone to Texas to a, to a place called Mission to Arlington, where we did uh, mission work in the Arlington area, just outside of Dallas. There is something special about serving together as a family. If we're going to build and grow strong families of faith, we need to surrender, sacrifice, and serve together. The Hebrew people were so good in doing this. They did everything together as a family. We, too, need to serve God with all of our strength. But lastly, there's one last main point we need to talk about. We've talked about living God's way. We've talked about loving God's way. And if we are going to build and grow strong families of faith, then we need to learn God's way. We need to learn God's way. And so learning God's ways involves four aspects. And I want to talk about these. First of all, learning God's ways happens through proper explanation. Look in verse 7 here. In verse 7, Moses tells the people, impress these commandments on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. You see that word impress there? That word means to pierce. To pierce somebody. Or to pierce something like you're piercing a pencil through paper. And it's also a word that has a repetition. And so it's something that you do repeatedly. And so when Moses is telling people to impress these commands as you enter the land so that you will be prosperous and, you know, fulfill your purpose, he's telling the people to repeat these commands in their everyday lives. What's really interesting about the, the, the Hebrew people is that they were extremely successful at making God's commands, decrees, and laws a very integral part of their life because their religious education was life-oriented, not information-oriented. So everywhere people went, um, there was reminders of God. They had holidays and festivals that reminded them about how God called them out of Egypt. They had different ritualistic sacrifices that remember that they helped them remember how God removed sin. They had a lot of things they did together. When they ate together, they had special meals that helped remind them about what God had done for them as a nation. A second thing I want you to see here is learning God's way happens not just through proper explanation, but also through proper encouragement. Because it says here that word encourage, the word encourage really means to lift up, not to beat up over the head. You know, a lot of people think 
that they take this Bible here and, and you know, and with their children, they think that they need to, you know, boy, you better get right with God. You know, you know, that's not how we need to impress our children, the different commandments. We need to be very encouraging to them. We need to encourage, not exasperate them. Let me give you uh, some examples here. Uh, it says here in verse 7 that we are to talk about God's commands when we sit at home, walk along the road, lie down, and get up. Let me give you some examples. Several times throughout the week, I text my family because my, my kids are all teenagers and, you know, they have phones. I will text them scripture verses routinely as a family in order to encourage um, godliness and build a strong family of faith, we pray before our meals. As I'm going down the road, um, I'll see a green light, and I'll ask my kids, what does green mean? By the way, what does green mean? It means go. And Jesus said we are to go and make disciples of all nations in Matthew 28. We passed by a uh, post office before, and I said, you know what? Just like the mail delivers, so God is our deliverer from all sorts of sins and hurts and habits and hang-ups. How has God delivered you recently? Every morning, um, I take my son Noah to school. And um, we go, we load up in the truck. And I was so proud of Noah because he was sitting in the congregation at the 9 o'clock service. And I asked him. I knew I took a little chance, but I was confident. Me and Noah always do something before we turn the truck on. And I said, Noah, what do we always do? And he shouted out, pray. We always pray before we go to school. I can tell you with all my kids, I know it takes a lot of time when you have a gazillion kids like we do. Uh, and that's fine. It's worth it to me. We all have a certain bedtime procedure with all of our kids. Yes, even though they're teenagers, we still have a certain bedtime schedule. But I make sure that I am alone by myself with the kids, and we read a scripture verse, and then I ask them, what do we need to be praying about? What do we need to thank God for? And we pray. I do that with Noah. I do that with Connor. Uh, Savannah, she's my 17-year-old daughter. You know, I used to could go into her bedroom, but now we just sit at the table or we'll just, she'll stand and we'll just kind of talk about her day. Oh, hey, Savannah, you're way back there in the back. Um, you know, uh, we'll talk uh, about her day and I'll, you know, offer her a, a sweet prayer. I say all that to say this. If we're going to build a strong family of faith, you've got to integrate your faith into everyday practice and life, just like the Hebrew people. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Make sure that you are consistently encouraging your kids uh, with the explanations. Real quick, number three, learning God's way happens not just through explanation, not just through encouragement, but number three, learning God's way happens through proper example. What does your life show? What are you watching? What are you saying? How do you treat your spouse? In verse 8, 
Moses tells the people, tie these commands as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. What kind of example are you showing to your kids? Because let me tell you something. Our teachings to our families are more caught than they are taught. Your actions speak louder than your words. On Saturday, when your kids see you hooping and hollering for the Razorbacks, you know, let's go, let's go, let's go. Or when, you know, they totally drop the ball like they did yesterday, you start cussing them and, you know, real negative and critical. You know, you get all, you know, worked up. What is that teaching them? Especially when you're rooting for them. And, and, you know, you'll do what, you know, you'll forget. You'll wipe everything off your schedule to watch this football game. You'll hoop, you'll holler. And then when you come to church on Sunday morning and we uh, strike up the band and we start worshiping, you're... What is that communicating to your kids? The Razorbacks are worth, you know, getting excited about and God isn't? My wife, when I, we first got married, you know, we were poor college students, and um, she worked at a pizza place. You know, it was one of those pizza places that had a buffet, and it had this huge arcade, and it was great, because I like arcade games. She'd give me free tokens, so it was great, but, uh, <clears throat> but she worked the cash register a lot, and so when um, families came in, you know, if you were 10 or under, guess what? Your buffet was like half price. And so parents would come in with their kids. And my wife was trained to ask the kid their age, not the parent. And she told me there was just so many times a kid would come in with a family and they'd be kind of, you know, it's kind of hard to tell if they were 10 or younger. And so she'd, she'd ask the child, you know, what's your name, son, uh, or yeah, she'd ask them names like, and so how old are you? And the child would go, I am. And the parent would go, oh, he's, he's nine years old. You know, cut him off real quick. And the child would look at him like, no, I'm not, you know. And, and, and the parent would be like, oh, he's just forgotten. He, he's, he's nine, you know. And, of course, my wife, you know, she'd go ahead and give that. But she knew that they were lying. And, but what is that teaching their kids? That it's okay to lie. What kind of example is that? I, I was a youth pastor for many years. And uh, I had parents and youth in my office. And there were times, you know, a parent would kind of be chewing out their, their teenager saying, you know, where did you learn to lie like that? Or where did you learn to do this? And I've heard kids say, I learned that from you. Let me tell you something. Our kids are very smart. And they are watching us. Learning God's way happens through proper example. What are your kids learning about you? What are they learning about God by watching your actions? We're not all perfect. You're looking at somebody here that's blown it several times and gotten angry with their kids. But by God's grace, I've shown them how to apologize. Lastly, learning God's way happens through proper explanation, proper encouragement, proper example. And finally, learning God's way happens through proper exposure. 
In verse 9, it says to write these commands on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. In the Hebrew people, their door frames were outlined with scripture. They had special little scrolls and, and tablets where they posted scripture, whether it's on their houses or, or on the streets. Again, it was life-oriented the way they did their education. My question is, is, if I'm to walk into your home, would I know that you're a Christian family? Would I see crosses? Would I see scriptures? I'm not asking you to, you know, paint scriptures all over your house. But do you reinforce your faith in God through what they see at their house? If you walk into my house through the front door, to the immediate right, there's this big painted poster that call, it's called Robertson Family Rules. And it's ten rules that are outlined scripturally with a scripture verse tied to each one. You walk into my uh, wife and I's bedroom, you'll see two picture frames that are beautiful. We had them painted. One says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Joshua chapter 24. And then another one where Jesus said, I am the bread of life in all the I am statements of Jesus Christ and their scripture reference. Listen, you don't have to be perfect, but you need to be intentional when it comes to building a strong family of faith. Let me close with this uh, concluding illustration. Uh, last uh, Sunday, we had a big men's ministry event at the bowling alley. It was great. We had about 65 men there. We went bowling, and man, we had a great time. And if you've never been bowling, or if you're not familiar with bowling, a whole game of bowling, the highest score you can get, a perfect game is 300 points. This is going to shock this congregation, but nobody bowled a 300. For you see, we were bowling, you know, 60 feet away because a, you know, from the line to, to the pins is 60 feet. And that ball does a lot of crazy things from 60 feet away. But you know what? Everyone that went to that men's ministry event could have rolled a 300. You're like, how's that? If we could have if we were allowed to walk all the way down to the lane and stand about five feet away from the pins and then roll that ball, I bet you a lot of us would have rolled 300. But let me tell you this. Error increases with distance. So that is why it is vitally important that we as families Stay near to God. Because the closer we are to God, the better we can build and grow a strong family of faith. When we begin to walk away from God and create distance from God, that's when sin and error and mistakes come creeping in. 
Today, I think some families, y'all need to be very intentional about drawing near to God because scripture in James chapter 4 says, draw near to God and I will draw near to you. And so if you look on your um, bulletin there, you have a homework assignment. You know, after all, I, I am a professor at the college too, so you are going to get homework. And it says here, now I want you to do this this week. I want you to write down two specific and practical actions you will intentionally do this week that will help strengthen the Christian faith of your family. I'm going to text scriptures. Or I'm going to pray before my kids go to bed. Or we're going to pray before we go to school. Or, you know, I'm going to remind them every time we see a green light that God tells us to go into all the world. I don't know. Write something down. You might want to do something together as a family. You know, say, hey, before this year's up, we're going to do something as a family that's missions-oriented. So here's what we're about to do. In just a few moments, I'm going to lead us in a word of prayer. And after we're done praying, we're going to have what's called an invitation. That's when the band's going to get up here. We're going to sing. Me and some of the elders of the church, we're going to be up front. If you need someone to pray with you, we're going to pray with you. If you need us to pray for your family, we'll pray for your family. For some of you, you need to begin the most important relationship of all, and that's a relationship with Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Maybe you've never asked Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. Maybe your family's in disarray relationally because you're not in a right relationship with God. Because let me tell you, your relationship with God impacts your relationship with others. So some of you, you may want to come down and let us talk to you about how you can be in a relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. For others, you may want to join this church or you may you know, want to be baptized or you may just want to pray right up here at these altars. And altars is a, an altar is a place of sacrifice and commitment. And maybe you just want to Take your family and come pray at the altar as a sign to God that, hey, we're going to be a family of faith. Whatever you do, just make sure you're obedient to God. And so with every head bowed, every eye closed, our worship team is coming up. They're getting ready. And I'm going to pray for us. And at the conclusion of this prayer, I want you to stand and I want you to do business with God. Our Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for how you loved me so much that you gave your one and only Son that whosoever believes in you will not perish but have everlasting life. And I'm praying today that if someone is struggling with a decision, that Lord, they would make a decision to truly commit, surrender, sacrifice their life to you and to serve you wholeheartedly. Lord, I am praying that, Lord, during this time, people will make decisions that will transform their families for all eternity. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand, let's sing, and let's do business with God.